You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. This week, we are back with Joanna Faber and Julie King. Joanna and Julie are best-selling authors of the books How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen and How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. They joined us a couple weeks ago on the show to help us move through situations where we're gridlocked and being met with resistance and defiance. And this week, they are here to help us manage whining. I don't know about you. I could take a big feeling meltdown any day over the nails on a chalkboard sound of whining. Whining is a common trigger for many parents. I know it's not just me. It's not just you. It's many of us. And it's something that often causes us to whine or react in return. Julie and Joanna join us today to help us understand what is at the core of whining, common ways that we react that are potentially unhelpful, and some strategies that we can use to more effectively manage when our child is whining. One of my favorite things about both Joanna and Julie is their ability to approach these potentially shameful and heavy topics in a really fun, humorous, and lighthearted way. So you are in for an episode that is equal parts funny and entertaining, as well as informative, and you will leave with practical tools in your tool belt for the next time you find yourself managing whining. Many of us didn't grow up with parents who apologized. Our parents' tough love generation often didn't feel the need to explain themselves to children. But now we know better. We understand that our relationships with children matter and that mutual respect, love, and care can help us build those relationships. One of the best ways to foster that respect is through repair. When you apologize to your child for losing your cool and commit to doing things differently, you're not showing weakness, you're showing strength. You can break the generational cycles of parenting and model for your children how to do better, even after the moments you aren't proud of. Dr. Ashari Nareem, Psyched Mummy, and I offer a free masterclass to teach you our three-step method for repairing with your child after you lose your cool. We cover how to measure a secure bond with your child, understanding the power of repair, practical ways to repair with your child, and more. I know you're here because you want change. You want to end that generational cycle. Give yourself the tools you need to parent more freely. Register for our free masterclass at happyasamother.co slash masterclass. That's happyasamother.co slash masterclass. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. 
Julie, Joanna, welcome back. Thank you so much. We dove into defiance and cooperation and all the big feelings and things that can come along with that. And for those who are not sure of who you are, I've obviously introduced you in the introduction here. A little bit more about how you guys came to be a a couple of sorts. It was discussed in part one. So I encourage people to go back, listen to a bit of your story there. And today in this part of our conversation, we are here to discuss whining. And I don't think there is any sound more painful in this life than whining. I'm sure you hear that. I know the book has called that out as well. Just nails on a chalkboard. Do we have to talk about whining? I don't want to. No. Oh, uh-uh. Exactly. Oh, it makes me chuckle because when you were outlining some of the ways in which we respond to whining, like knee-jerk responses or reactions, it's kind of with our own sing-song whine of like, can you use your voice blah, 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 and our own adult version of whining back to our children? And I'm like, if that doesn't sum up our whining interactions, I don't know what does. (laughs) Are there other common ways in which parents approach whining or react to whining? I think, you know, I think people just want to make it stop. Oh, it's like painful. It's, you know, it just feels sonically I can't believe they're doing this to me. So we want them to stop, right? So mm-hmm. um, we, you know, we just want to turn it off. And you know, we talked in the f- first session about looking underneath the behavior because when we just focus right. on the behavior, sometimes we can't really figure out why they're doing something. So we never get at the root cause. And there are a number of different reasons why kids will whine. It's not always the same. But one reason kids whine is because they just feel so dependent. They want something. They're powerless to get it. I think it can help to relate to that feeling if we do a try it on yourself experiment. So I just want Mm -hmm. you to imagine. I love these experiments. I love it. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So imagine that you and your spouse or your partner have created a budget for the monthly budget and you have a certain amount set aside for your clothing and a certain amount for food and so on. And you have saved up because you need to get a new toaster. So you're in the department store, pre-COVID, I suppose, and you're walking around and you're heading towards, you know, to get the toaster. But then you see over here, there is a green top for sale. That is the perfect color. You had bought these pans for this work event you have, but you didn't, you didn't realize you didn't have a top that really matches. And there it is. And it's on sale. And you say, oh, honey, I've got to get this. Wait a second. Let me take a look. It's the last one in my size. And he says, uh, 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 we already had this discussion. That's why we made a budget. We're not buying that right now. And you say, oh, come on. It's, it's not that much money and it's on sale. No, honey, we had an agreement, right? Where does your voice go? Come on. It's like the all last one in my, in my size. If I wait till next month, it won't even be there. Like we totally go into the wine, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And if he says, uh, 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 I can't hear you when you talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> right i can already feel my rage level starting to increase right? yeah <laughs> yeah so that's why that kind of response doesn't help right yes but it's it's the helplessness it's it's you know kids are helpless you're in charge so they have to use pleas and entreaties yeah right yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And I find that it's like, it comes up in situations where the ask is so ridiculous or so out there and it's like provoking a no. And I think that you talk about like, tell them about things they can do and things versus things they can't do. It's like they back me into a corner to have to like, like say no. And then I know when I do, they're not going to be pleased about it. And one of the tools that I have employed since going through the book and I've been using is the tool of writing it down or, or putting like noting it, putting mm. it on a list. I take your request seriously, right? And so I've started just on my memo on my phone. Each of the boys have a wish list. It's not a guarantee they will get it. But when they say, mommy, I would really like to, or I really want this, or can we go stay in a hotel one day? Or can I have a giant life-size robot? Or (laughs) these are actual requests. Or I really want to go to Hawaii. And I'm like, well, I don't know that we can do that right now, but mommy will put it on your wish list. It doesn't mean you will get it for sure, but it's on our wish list for things to think about in the future. I think that's actually solved the problem every time we've had one of these situations. I don't think that they've gone sideways since we've been using this. It's a theory. They want to look through their wish list. They want to revisit it and know Mm. what's on it. They feel proud about it. And I'm just happy to have it parked somewhere that I don't have to engage with it anymore, right? That works so well as an adult example, too. I mean, say you said to your partner, boy, I wish, you know, I I really want to go to Hawaii and see the volcanoes and those amazing black sand beaches. And he said, you know, we don't have the budget for that. Why are you talking? You know, that would be a waste of money. And we're trying to say it would be so like crushing and annoying. Right. You know, and, and what if he or she said instead, like, oh, that would be so cool. You know, would you take the helicopter ride? What would you want to see? I mean, you can just completely engage with your kid about, you know, yeah. you don't even have to say that, well, we can't do that right now. You can just start saying, oh, Hawaii, that's a cool place. Tell me what you know about Hawaii. You know, let's look at it. Let's Google it. I spent my whole childhood telling my parents that I was going to have a horse and all the other animals I was going to have. And they never said, well, Joanna, you can't have a horse. You know, we live in the suburbs and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Um, You know, do you know how much manure a horse creates? Oh, a horse. What kind of horse? What color would the horse be? And and I had my savings account and it was, you know, my horse money mm. my entire childhood. And and I never did get a horse and I don't have a horse and I don't really want a horse at this point in my life. But I really enjoyed saving up for my horse. <laughs> it's really interesting because as you're describing it, I feel like we fear leaning into it. And I mm. think that one of the other strategies, I feel like I'm pulling them all. I have my book in front of me. For those of you who can't see me, you know, you're listening. I have the book and I have all the skills here. But one of the things that you mentioned is giving it to them in fantasy versus reality. And I think that there's almost a fear here sometimes from our perspective where if I lean into this, it's going to make the power struggle worse. Like I need to cut this off right now. Mm. But from what I'm gathering from your skills, it's, it's actually quite the opposite. If we like entertain it a little bit, it can help us move through that moment more effectively. Yeah, yeah. I'm relating that to your comment about writing things down. And I, yeah. I'm remembering this mom I had in one of my groups. She had a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And she used to take them to the Lawrence Hall of Science, which is a hands-on science museum out here in California. 
And it's a very exciting museum for kids, you know, all hands-on stuff. But to exit the museum, you have to walk through the gift shop. There's no mm. other way to get out. And she said, you know, inevitably, it's the end of the day. Everybody's tired. Everybody's overstimulated. And then they walk into the gift shop and they would start whining for everything in the shop. Mm-hmm. And she said it got to the point where she didn't want to go to the museum because it was so hard to get them out of there. And when she used this tool of writing things down, she did the same thing you were doing, but making a wish list. Mm-hmm. Before they went in the gift shop, she said, you know, we're going to leave. We're going to walk through the gift shop. They have some really cool stuff in there. If you see anything you'd like to add to your wish list, you come and tell me and I'll put it down on your list. Mm-hmm. It was the first time, she said, they went running around saying, put that on, put that on. And then they got out no crying, no complaints. They got out of the gift shop without the same struggle. And I find it very interesting that you're relating that to the giving wishes in fantasy because she didn't say, as you said, you know, I will get this for you. Although I have to say that there are some kids who are literal thinkers, very concrete thinkers Mm -hmm. who need to know that this is not a, I'm going to buy this. uh, Because I have heard that story from some, you know, parents of kids who say, but you put it on the list. How come I don't have it? You know, so they need to have their expectations adjusted. <laughs> well, right. here's where another uh, a skill we talked about in the last episode may come in handy. I know w- whenever I went shopping with my kids, you know, they would see me, you know, picking up things off the shelf and putting them in the cart and buying them. You know, why can't they? Right. And I always had this sort of you know, tension between like, why don't I just get it for them? You know, so they want the little matchbox car that's $1.50 every time we go to the supermarket. But I just got them something and I want want them to think they can constantly ask for things. I don't even want to make this decision. Mm. So if we can find a way to put the children in charge of these decisions, it's great practice for them. And it takes the onus off of us. So when they were quite young, I started giving them an allowance and it was very modest. It was a dollar a week, you know, so if they wanted to buy the classic $9.99 toy, you know, they would have to spend 10 weeks saving up for it. But if they wanted to buy a little doodad that costs a dollar at the store, they could, you know, use their allowance. And Mm. I could say to them, you know, we're going to the grocery store and we're just buying food, but You know, if you want to take some of your allowance with you, if you see something you really like, you can get it. And then you'd see them sitting there thinking, hmm, you know, I don't know if I want to spend my money on this or if I want to save it for something else. And they're going through that whole process. And we'd go on trips to the dollar store, of course, just, you know, just for Mm -hmm. the fun of it so that their money could go a long way and they could, you know, get little doodads that will give them much joy and break in a week or a day. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, we're making them less helpless. We're putting them in charge, but in a reasonable way. And of course, if it's the grocery store, I'd let them pick out something from the produce section and that would go under my budget. So yeah. they had a job, you know, they had something to do. They were in charge of, you know, choosing which apples to put in the bag instead of just being these these helpless little creatures that had to beg for things. Yeah, I see that here in, I have the newest book, the How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen Open. I really love the structure of this book because I feel like you took the skills and organized them into templates for me based on the situation. That's how I feel about it, right? So I can flip open like, oh shoot, we got whining or we got hitting or whatever. And I can flick through and and really pull on the template of the skills that I can employ in that moment. So I love the structure of it. 
That's Julie, the structured one. <laughs> I love you, it. You can read our book out of order. That's the beauty of it, right? I can dip in and out. And as a parent, I love that, right? But you're talking about putting the child in charge, but then you give like subsections of their time. So they can be the one to tie mess sometimes or of food. They can choose the produce they maybe want to eat in their lunch that week or of a part of an activity. So maybe there's a specific part of the weekend that they can structure in terms of what they want to do. But then the Mm. rest of the parts, mom and dad decide or parents decide, put them in charge of money, which is what you're talking about with your allowance, right? So putting them in charge of these areas, like lunch is another thing that the kids whine about a lot. So I will try to put them in charge of, well, what fruit do you want mommy to get and put on the grocery list this week? Mm. You know, like the expectation is you have a fruit or a veggie in your lunch, but like the world is your oyster. Pick which one you want, you know? And it does really help. So with whining, we're talking about wants and like requests for things. That sounds like one angle of whining and the noting it and the putting the child in charge are really helpful. What other angles of whining have you heard from parents? Is it mostly like desire-based? I'm not sure if this is what you're asking, but there's another way to approach whining that I found helpful with my daughter. I can't, mm. I honestly can't remember if we put this in the book or not. When, when we used to have dinner, so I have three kids also, and dinner was, you know, like kind of a circus because there's three kids all having wants and needs and wanting to talk. And my daughter's the youngest. And I think her voice was the hardest to hear when there was a lot of racket going on. And yeah. I started to notice that sometimes she would say, you know, mommy, I want some milk, Right. And I think I didn't notice because somebody else wanted something else and I was doing all this stuff, right? And the next thing I know, she's going, mommy, I want some milk. You know, I'm like, whoa, what happened? You know, it's like so jarring when you hear the, the whine. But I thought, I don't really want to only react when she finally gets my attention by whining. So some of that's on me. But I also mm-hmm. talked to her about, not in the moment, not in the moment, but when it wasn't dinner time, I talked to her about the melody of our voice. That's how I think of it. And I said, Mm. you know, you can say it this way, mommy, I want some milk. Or you can use your low voice, mommy, I have some milk, please. And those of you Mm. who are just listening can't tell, but I'm moving my head down and up as I said it. And that's how I did it with her. And I said, that's the melody that's easier for me to hear. And so the next time she started with the mommy, I want some milk. I said, mommy. And I did the thing with my head. And she immediately Mm. said, mommy, I have some milk, please. And I'm like, sure, Mm. you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. so we can Mm -hmm. talk about the tone of voice because it was not that she was super frustrated in the moment I thought she could stand to have a cue and that would probably help and uh, that's another way to think about whining is we can cue them about their tone of voice and ask them for a different tone it just have to be careful because like we said before if you're really super frustrated and you're saying I can't believe you're saying that I don't know then somebody's oh, you're doing that voice again. I need to hear that low voice. You'd probably have a reaction that I can't say publicly on a a podcast recording, (laughs) right? Yeah, so when kids are really at the end of their rope, you know, when they're really tired and they're really overwhelmed, they're hungry, they're sick, you know, they're miserable, we may just need to adjust our expectation and handle their needs without complaining about their tone. Yes. So, you know, that's why yeah. this is all an art, not a science, right? Yes. Yeah. Because like, I think that's exactly what I was getting at with like the different types of whining. So we've got like the types of whining where you talk about the basic needs, meet the basic needs. So like we're hungry, we're tired, we're sick. 
And like that whining is sort of founded on something, right? Like something physical, at least. And then we've got maybe whining that is more, I don't know, maybe like emotionally based or feeling slighted or feeling left out or like has a more like emotional need to it, perhaps. And then we've got like the sort of desired based wanting and really wanting something. Like I feel like they, they come up, I'm trying to sort of theme them in my mind, how they pop up in different sort of whack-a-mole ways. But <laughs> either way, responding in a validating, like acknowledging the feeling and offering a choice and acknowledging how they're feeling. Sounds like it's really one of the main antidotes here, or like one of the main ways to solve or manage whining, right? I think that's how I figure out how to respond is to ask myself when I can ask myself, like, what is underneath that behavior, that whine? <laughs> I once came home and my, my son, well, I guess it wasn't a whine, but I came home and the babysitter had been with the kids and my son sort of came out of his room and he just stood there and started crying. And I thought, what is this? Like, I, had, I was out of context. I'm like, when did he eat lunch? And she said, I thought you gave him lunch and it was four o'clock in the afternoon. And I thought, you know, we're not going to address any other behavior. We're going to put some food in his mouth now, you know? Right, right. So I'm always asking myself, what's underneath the behavior? What's underneath it? And that will help me figure out what's a better strategy to use in this moment. Inevitably, I feel like With us, if it's like a persistent whine that is ongoing, like an undertone of it, it's usually that we're all getting sick in the house or something is happening or like there was like teething or there's there's something Mm. going on. And once one of us goes down and we all go down, it's a household of whiners probably for several days because I really related, Julie, to your story where you're like, dinner time is a circus in our house, hands down, given that we're six five and three right now. It's still a circus. And all three children will be speaking at the same time with a request. And they see one is asking and then they talk louder and everybody talks loud. And I'll just cover my ears and say like, mommy cannot hear three people talking at the same time. And those whines can become more, like they can escalate more. They can start to become more vocal because there's just, as moms of three, there's just a competition for whose needs are getting met in that moment, kind of, right? Or who we're being attuned to. So I think that trying to have the conversations to be cued in a different way that you want attention. I've, I've heard these conversations before with parents where they will say like, why don't you just like come stand beside me and gently put your arm on my forearm? I'll know that you need me for something. Or mm. like setting up these little things between you and each of your children. I love mm. this idea where There's like a little cue between the two of you that is maybe playful in nature that you can pull on in a moment where you're just like, whoa, this is too much whining, right? Yeah. And I want to give you a little picture of what you have possibly in your future, because we did have that sort of circusy feel to a family conversation for a while. So when my kids were not that much older than your kids are now, we went for a drive. And I remember it was in December. It was our annual Christmas light drive. We used to drive around and look at the Christmas lights. Mm. And it was a good way to keep the kids entertained in the car when we wanted to have a conversation. So I talked to them and I said, sometimes when we're all together, everybody wants to talk and it's hard to figure out who should talk and who should be listening. Maybe we need to figure out a better way to have conversations. So this is very meta, right? We're having a conversation about having a conversation. <laughs> I said, right. how should we do this? 
because I really have a hard time when two people talk at the same time. It's not just that I can't hear them, but it just stresses me. Like I feel like, yeah, I get overstimulated, right? It gets overwhelming. Yes. Yes. And kids do the same thing. You know, they used to do the same thing in my house, like talk louder to see if you can get the attention. So I said, what can we do when there's two people who want to talk at the same time? And Asher said, there should be a rule that nobody can interrupt. You have to wait your turn. Hmm. And Rashi said, yeah, but if I have to wait my turn, I'm going to forget what I want to say. Right. And mm-hmm. Shirielle, who was three at the time, she had nothing useful to say, but she said, it's my turn to talk. And I think that people should be able to talk. And she said something completely unrelated, I have to admit. And then we went back, we were going around the circle. And then Asher said, well, Rashi, the problem is if you interrupt me, then I'm going to forget what I wanted to say. And I think this was like this big aha in the car because mm. I don't think Rashi, it had occurred to him that when I interrupt because I need to say this or I'll forget that the same thing is happening to Asher. So the plan we came up with was not any, any, you know, big plan. It was, you know, we'll go one at a time and you won't interrupt, which was sort of what I was trying to go for to begin with. But I think it sensitized them to the idea that other people also want to speak and they also forget what they want to say. And we talked about what could you do when you have an idea and you're afraid you're going to forget, you know, can you write it on your hand or put it on, you know, remember it like, oh, I'm going to put it here and sort of remember it. But I think the biggest thing was that they became sensitized to the idea that other people also are having the same experience of, I need to say this before I forget. And if I interrupt, I'm creating that same problem for somebody else. It's sort of the ultimate skill, right? Mm. Is is being able to see things from other people's perspective. I mean, that's what we want in our kids. That's what we want in human beings for world peace, basically, is to be able (laughs) to see from other people's perspective and to care about other people's perspective instead of just, you know, be obedient until you grow strong enough not to have to be obedient. Yeah. And I think that allowing for these conversations of, okay, like I see this problem, we have this problem. How do we work together as a family to solve it, you know, is really helpful. And we can't do this in the moment. This takes, you know, everybody being calm and we're maybe in a different moment than the everybody whining and losing it in the kitchen moment. But It allows for these, I say rules, but I don't mean rules, but kind of these exchanges to have some guidelines to them a little bit, ones that are problem solved by our kids so that they are invested in those. And it's, yeah, incredibly helpful. And it's not us just prescribing it to them all the time. Like, you know, we should react this way or do this or do that, which I think is easier. I know is easier to In the short term, to just say, this is what you need to do. But in the long term, we continue in these battles of wills and they don't learn some of those more problem solving or reflecting skills when we're constantly sort of intervening on their behalf. Yeah, because I think one of our goals for our kids is to learn how to resolve conflicts with other people. And that's a very useful, lifelong skill that we all need. And how are they going to learn that if we just keep solving the problems for them and telling them what to do? So yeah, Yeah. it can feel a little bit messier or riskier. Like, I don't know if they'll come up with a good solution, but I've been so impressed, not just with my own kids, but with the solutions that parents in my groups have come up with, you know, with their kids and the kids come up with solutions that we wouldn't have even thought would work. And they work in part because the kids come up with them. Yes. And I love that. I love that. It's like democracy. You know, it's inefficient, but it's better than dictatorship, (laughs) ultimately, right? Yeah. 
For the parents, and we'll sort of wrap this up here, but for the parents who are new to trying to validate a feeling in the moment, can we do some like examples or I feel like you guys are the creators of the, instead of this, do this. This is all over social media, which is my sort of wheelhouse and where I live, right? There's all these posts of like, in a situation where like, I don't know, you're, the siblings do this, do this instead of this. And I'm like reading through and I'm like, this is where this comes from is your books, I feel like, because I see a lot of that around. But if we could lean into that a little bit, I don't know, maybe I'll just make up some pretend situations or something, but Okay, make up one. Okay. Now I've got to pull on my creative brain late on a Friday, but here we are. Yeah. So if it's like, it could be hitting or it could be whining. Um, Actually, something we talked about on the, the podcast recently was after school restraint class where we walk in the door from school, particularly on a Friday, which is going to happen in my house here soon. And everyone's just going to like whine and be tired. And, and it's, you know, what's for dinner? I don't want that for dinner. How might we validate a feeling in a moment where it's a whole course of whining happening? You know, I'm listening to the specifics. So when they come in the door and they say, what's for dinner? And you say, what, what is for dinner? Oh, I was going to. That's a really good question. You know, you're going to have to think. <laughs> Why My husband you know, is the one cooking dinner as we're here. So bless him. Thank God for him. So chicken's for dinner. <laughs> and they say, I wanted pizza. Right. And instead of saying, you know, what's the matter with you? Why are you complaining? You should be, you know, you're lucky you have dinner at all. There are children on the other side of the world starving. You can say, oh, you really like pizza. That's your favorite. Mm-hmm. You wish it was pizza. Write it down on the list of dinners to have next week. Yeah. You know, and you've diffused the battle right there. You, you've you accepted their love of pizza. I think that's what it's a lot about, right? It's just accepting the moment, accepting that they have a preference, even though they might not be able to have it in that moment, accepting that they have a preference, they have a desire, they have a want, and we don't need to like reason them out of it in that moment, right? We don't yeah. need to. We yeah. don't need to. And of course, you know, if kids are older and a little more emotionally mature, we can also talk mm-hmm. about our own mm-hmm. feelings. You know, this this is not going to work with a three-year-old, but, you know, if your 10-year-old comes in and says like, oh, why are we having spaghetti and meatballs? I wanted pizza. You know, you could say, you know, boy, you know, that's frustrating. I've been, you know, working hard cooking, you know, and I'd rather hear thanks for the dinner, mom. And, you know, can we have pizza one day next week? You know, you can tell them how you feel and you can tell them how you'd like to be talked to. And they'll be open to that if you don't attack, counterattack and say, what is the matter with you? Why are you being so rude? Right. You're sort of just like, narrating the experience out loud. Like, oh, mom worked really hard to make dinner and here you come in, like, you know, unimpressed. And just sort of narrating that out loud for them a little bit. Yeah. I remember one time we were having a birthday party and there were a whole bunch of kids sitting around the table and it was sort of milk and cake time. And and one of them started a little chant and he was banging on the table saying, give me milk, give me milk. And all the kids started (laughs) doing that. And I was like you little brats <laughs> how yeah. dare you but you and, didn't say it out loud and, <laughs> no, I, I just said to them boy i don't like being yelled at you know i like being asked this way you know miss fever can i have some milk when you have a chance yeah. i'm thirsty yeah. and you know they stopped banging and they said oh miss fever can i have some milk when you have a chance i'm thirsty 
And I said, sure, here you are. And they said, thank you. And I said, you're welcome. Yeah. So you can just tell them, you know, I, that doesn't make me feel helpful. I don't like being mm-hmm. yelled at. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just wanted to point out that you, you talked about narrating what was happening, but also talking about your own feelings because parents have feelings too. And it's good for kids to know, you know, sometimes yeah. I think we are hesitant to tell them when we're feeling you know, taken for granted. (laughs) I used to say sometimes when I felt like nobody's thanking me for what I did, I'd say, you know, thanks mom for cleaning that up. I'd say it myself. (laughs) It made me feel better when nobody else did. (laughs) And sometimes my kids would say, oh, oh yeah, thanks mom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a fine line. Like we want to help them be attuned to the emotions of others, but then we also don't want them to feel responsible for our emotions. So it's hard for us to navigate that line sometimes. Like my oldest, who's almost seven, he has enough reasoning for me to say, you know, if you learned how to approach mom in a certain way, you'd probably be more likely to get what you want. It's a little tip for you. You know, just I'm looking out for you. If you kind of package it differently, I'm going to be more receptive. And he's at the age where I can work with that. And my three-year-old, not so much yet, but, you know, he, he grows into it. Yeah, it's, a, it's an important lesson to learn. This is what makes me feel helpful. And this is what makes me feel resentful. Yeah. yeah. And I'm telling him, like, you actually have, like, some control and ability to negotiate or navigate this situation, but not coming in whining. Like, that's not going to work, right? Let's let's rethink our strategy here because I was open to it until it came in in a really, you know, rude tone or or like whiny tone. But now I'm having a harder time digesting that. That's harder for me to take in. And doing that with some playfulness, I think, for us is really helpful as well. Yeah. So so your kid's EQ is going to go way up. One of the objections sometimes to this approach when people don't know much about it is they feel like it's permissive mm. because instead of correcting kids, we start by acknowledging their feelings. Mm-hmm. But what I'm finding and what other parents find is that by acknowledging feelings, kids are finding it easier to accept our limits. And they're also sensitized to our feelings. And you'll find, you know, your kids are talking to you with more respect and and you can certainly ask for that respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a way that's not a demand or a command, right? In a very relational way, in a playful way where it's like, listen, you know, you, you got a better way of packaging it than that. Like, come on. I know you can do a bit better. And there's so much tangible and practical to take away from your book. So the first one that you guys had written together was how to talk so little kids will listen. And the most recent one, which I love the layout of, is how to talk when kids won't listen. And that feels like it really templates out those moments for us with the skills that you guys build on. So thank you both for taking the time to be here and uh, share with our community today. Where can they find your books? Do you guys hang out online? Where can they find you for resources or workshops? Well, the books are available wherever books are sold. We like to encourage people to visit their local bookstore, but if you can't do that, they're also available online. And we have a website. It's how-to-talk.com. I had to think about it. Mm. So how to talk with dashes between the words.com. Make sure you get the dashes, otherwise you end up at somebody else's site. <laughs> and we also are on Facebook, Faber and King. I think if you search for the title of our book, you'll also find us. And yeah. we're on Instagram, howtotalk.forparents. Yes, and we will link all of this in our show notes so that people can 
find you. And as you said, your books are sold wherever books are available. Yes. And if you're interested in the workshops or the consultations, you can find out about that at our website, how-to-talk.com. So all that information is there, the names of the books. We also have a couple of apps that we haven't mentioned yet today, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I've seen that. Have you seen our app? We're so excited about our app. Yes. Um, We have Like in our pocket, like little quick reference, right? Yes. Our app called How to Talk, Parenting Tips in Your Pocket presents all the tools from the book in a very handy way to get at them with some examples, some caveats, and that's available for both Android and iPhone. And if you want just an introduction to this whole approach and sort of see it in sort of cartoon action, we have an app called Parenting Hero. And it's like sort of mm-hmm. like a little quiz where we'll present a scene and say, you know, what would you say in this scenario? And then we play it out, sort of the, the helpful responses and the not so helpful responses. And you can see why the unhelpful responses, you know, tend to drag you down, right? <laughs> why, and right. why the helpful responses tend to be better. So those are also available for both Android and iPhone. And we have the names of them on our website, if you can't remember what I just said. They're all there on the website, how-to-talk.com. So take a look there. Yeah. I am definitely going to download the app, especially as we're thinking about summer vacationing and things. I want a little reference in my pocket for when I need it. And we will link all of the resources in the apps in the show notes and in our blog post. So Appreciate you both. Appreciate your time being here. And thank you again so much for your time today. Thank Thank you, you Erica. Thank you for having us. I had such a fun time getting to know Joanna and Julie. They are so fun and approachable and have so many practical insights to offer. When it comes to parenting, it's not just about the skills that we know, but it's also about how we are feeling as parents and our own capacity and mental health. I know that working with many clients, sometimes the things that are underneath our impatience or our irritation are actually things like anxiety or depression. So if you find that you are trying to apply some of these parenting skills or that you are impatient and losing your cool more than you would like, we do have resources for you. For Canadian residents, we have a skilled team of mom therapists in our wellness center that are teletherapy-based and serve many provinces across the nation. And for those who are international, Psyched Mommy and I have our Mommy Rage course that goes into many practical insights that you would get from working with us one-on-one in therapy, all on your time in your pocket for a fraction of the cost. To book with a therapist, you can head to happyasamother.co slash book, or to learn more about mommy rage, you can head to happyasamother.co slash rage. Parenting takes us on one of the deepest journeys into ourself. You are not alone in doing this work. And as always, thank you for being here with me this week. And I'll meet you right back here next week, same time, same place where I'm having Dr. Jennifer Aquerquiu join the show to discuss the invisible load of Black pregnancy and birthing. I'll see you back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. 
If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.